We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. What is up? And we're live. Uh, welcome to PT Pinecast, a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories in the world of physical therapy. Uh, I'm Drew McKay. We are back in our just our second episode of 2021. We take the month of December off to kind of reload. I mean, we I think we averaged in 2020 like three and a half episodes a week. We aim for two, but then there's always someone who's like, oh, we got a really cool idea. Can you? And like, I'm super bad at saying no. So I'm like, yes, why not throw an extra 33% of episodes this week? So um, we do, again, I want to start this episode off by saying thank you to everybody. We hit another milestone and it feels braggy but I was told, like, sh- you know, share this because I feel like it says more about the audience and the community and the profession than it does about necessarily the podcast. But we hit one million downloads in 2020. I know I was as confused as you are, but we got over the million mark, uh, three million downloads total since we started the, the show uh, as a as a second year PT student. I literally was like doing the show with like my microphone and stuff on my textbooks at night after uh, after studying. But uh, 3 million downloads for the show and a million just in 2020. And I was mentioning this last episode. I think that what, what that says about the profession is you guys want to be connected and you like hearing what other physical therapists in all aspects of the profession are doing. And that says a lot more about you. I just get to talk to people have a couple of drinks and then but you guys are the reason that we do it now i'm, I'm gesturing with this glass right here i'm drinking a uh, a high noon peach flavor should try it by the way um but this is my favorite glass and it's hard to see because it's clear but it says i drink and i know things one of my favorite lines from Tyrion lannister in game of thrones is his kind of his saying uh we do want to let you know that we're giving away some of these glasses we're going to mail them to you if you go and sign up and tell us you want one at ptpinecast.com. And this is all thanks to our friends from your CBD store, right? They know you want to be an up-to-date physical therapist. If you haven't been asked by uh, by patients uh, already about CBD, it comes up in conversation a lot. So in order to be able to speak about it um, you know, knowledgeably, you need the latest information about CBD and really how it will affect your patients. The problem is there's so much information, and as we know, some misinformation or disinformation, and so little time. So listen, there is a physician in charge. Dr. Tony runs your CBD store. Uh, So don't feel confused and overwhelmed. Understand. Get the right information so it's not daunting when you're talking about CBD. Hey, should I be taking this? And again, PTs are not prescribing this, but... If your patients are taking this on their own accord or if it's prescribed, you should know how it affects them. So they've done the work for you. So go to CBDRXForYou.com. Check out their education links. They've also got more than 500 retail locations. But they're, I mean, the reason we let them sponsor the show is their main avenue is education. Kind of sounds like physical therapy. So go to CBDRX for you, check out what their information is so you can stop feeling overwhelmed about the use of CBD and how it affects your patients and start feeling confident that you get the latest accurate information. And if you want uh, one of these pint glasses mailed right to you, check out CBDRX4U.com. All right, let's bring in our guest tonight. I don't even know how to, uh, to introduce her. So I will do so with her pronouns. Dr. Lisa Van Hoos, she, her equity warrior. Oh, she comes in hot. 
with Hello, everyone. I, I didn't realize we were going to do a snap cam. All right. So if you're watching the live cast again, live casting the show on YouTube, on, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, <laughs> uh, the podcast audience has no idea why I'm giggling, but we're using snap cam and Lisa and I have done talks together. We've, we've done things online where we know we are both fan of the snap cam and the filters. And I said, Lisa, come in hot with your favorite snap cam filter. Is that like an ice cream cone? Yes, it was. Yeah. And now you've got that. Those are very anime Rudolph eyes. I go with Mandalorian. This is the way. My second favorite Snapchat filter to use is something I know you you and I both enjoy this one. Put this one on now so we can both be this. Okay. I love doing this in the middle of meetings and you just, you are, you're doing the interview as a banana. It's very creepy. And I told you I would show you what the creepiest thing you can do as the, that's very nice. The creepiest thing I did in a meeting without knowing it is if you lick your uh if you lick your lips, lick your teeth, like that looks creepy. Yeah. See? The tongue with the banana looks very creepy. Uh my third and final favorite uh Snapchat filter uh to use for this. This never goes wrong in a meeting. Says a lot. I am Dwight Schrute, J screaming Dwight Schrute. This says a lot in a meeting. So this is usually my closer. Dr. Lisa Van Hoot, I feel like we could just wrap up the episode right now. I've already had too much fun. That's it right there. Just slammed it up. We just built a whole village, a whole community right there. Uh, first question is always the hardest. What are we drinking tonight, Dr. Van Hoot? So I am not a beer drinker, but I love a good Roscato. So, yes, so a red Moscato. It's fabulous. I'm doing a, uh, I just did a beer last episode. I'm doing a high noon uh, peach flavored. Very nice. Cheers, cheers. Uh, cheers. First time, by our friends at Owens Republic Science, a single source for people looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Check them out online at OwensRecoveryScience.com. Uh, you alluded to building a village. Very radio segue of you, Dr. Van Hoos. I'm uh, learning from the best. You're, you did it very well. Um, you decided that um, it takes a village to change the world. So you said there isn't one that I think exists that will change the world how I would like it to change or the ways that we think it should change. So you built not only just one village, it wound up morphing into three. That's a whole like township you've got going on. So oh, that's great. Talk about the mindset. What, what does that mean to take the village? I mean, people have heard this, this saying before. It takes a village to raise a child. Uh, it takes a village to change the world. So, so you know, what's that mean? Why was that something that you kind of grabbed onto? Um, so I will say, first of all, I grabbed onto it because that's how I was raised. Um, so it was part of our family's culture was that we were all responsible for each other. And so then once I became a member of the PT family, I realized that I didn't have a space where I could have conversations about the things that were really important to me or the clients and the patients that I served and then just my own family's health and wellness. And um, in talking with others, they were like, but those issues are so big, right? When you start talking about social determinants of health and those kind of things and, and that whole conversation about these are conversations too big for a PT lane. So we thought that we would create a village that would be multidisciplinary and say, whoever wants to come can come. And here's the issues that we're focused in on. And so for the Ujima Institute, we're really focused on health and wellness of black communities. All right. So that's uh, that's uh, that's your website, right? UjimaInstitute.com. We'll throw that link in the, in the comments as well for people to click there. Awesome. Um, when they go there, what will they find? 
what will it help them become? How what will they transform into after they go there? Awesome. So if you visit the Ujima website, the first thing you'll see is that we actually have a toolbox um, because we heard from the community and that being the PT community, that being, you know, just lay people, the public, that we needed resources that kind of talked about building cultural humility. And so there's actually, if you scroll down, there's a toolkit and you can click on it and it will link you to resources related to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, um, even representation. So how do you build those skills within yourself and also within the communities that you serve? Um, the other things that you'll find is that if you're someone that you're looking for a place to be involved, because I think we all now, we've, we've been made aware of the issues and you're like, how do I help? We actually have DEI work groups where you can join a work group. We've got five different work groups working on different issues. And so you can join a work group and actually be in the grassroots work. Um, and then the other thing you're going to see is the Black Rehabilitation Manifesto, which was just a labor of love. Um, about 100 PTs, PTAs, OTs, CODAs, speech language pathologists and their students got together and wrote this document that talked about the needs and also the expectations from the black um, rehab community. And we also included patients and the caregivers. So it's a very um, inclusive, holistic document. Uh, for the podcast audience who isn't seeing this on the screen, I do want to read this quote because I think it I mean, it's it, it's purposefully put at the top of the page, right? The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. It's not our differences that divide us. It's our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. And your silence will not protect you. If that doesn't fit right now in American history, I mean, we had to push back some interviews from last week because of terrorist activities that are all, if not directly related to um, the things that we've been talking about for, and I was going to say nine months, but I'm pretty sure you've been, other people have been having these conversations, but I feel like they've, they've finally been th thrust into um, um, the spotlight, unfortunately now, because they probably, they should have been there years ago. No, I think you beautifully kind of sum that up. And so that's a quote from Audre Lorde. And so anyone that's listening, she is an amazing American writer. Um, who was just ahead of her time um, in her. And she speaks to intersectionality so beautifully. Um, so she's a really great writer for you to know. But I agree with you. I think last week's events allowed another opportunity for us to say, to really kind of see how connected we are and how the things that we neglect or the things that we try to brush under the rug that dirt always comes back to the top. You have to deal with these things. And so I'm hoping that it's an opportunity for um, people to see kind of, here are some shared common, here are the commonalities when you are othered, right? Because the con our, our congressional leaders were basically othered and people came for them. What is other, what is othered? Like what is othered? Oh, great. So other is that activity you do when you go, that person's different from me. Oh, they, when you use a they kind yeah. of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, the they. And so I'm hoping that our leaders are able to really understand what that feels like and also the danger that comes with that, right? Because a lot of our leaders come from places of privilege or they have moved up, had some social mobility. And sometimes with mobility, we forget 
um, what that feels like to be really marginalized. But I think January 6th was definitely a wake up call. Um, I also feel like it was it it really laid the foundation for us to have conversation about police reform. Right. Because, yes, the majority of our law enforcement is fabulous. I come from a military family. I, re- I, I totally respect um, law enforcement and all of those that are in the um, that serve our country. But it was a really good example of what can happen when just a few go rogue and how that those few can impact your health. They can in- even impact your potential mortality. I mean, they thought they were going to die on January 6th. And so I'm hoping that people are able to see the similarities. Like even I'm lo- I, I, right now I'm loving listening to everyone's commentary, like comparing the policing from January to the summer. And I'm like, that's every day in America. It's three blocks away. Yeah. Three blocks. And I mean, you saw the picture. I mean, I think it was uh, I think it was Sky Donovan pointed it out. It was mistakenly quoted or, or credited as this is what the Capitol steps looked like this summer. It was Lincoln Memorial. But I mean, they were ready. I mean, they were ready for a, several right. football games. Right. And I think that is true any place in America. Right. When you think of policing patterns in um, marginalized communities compared to affluent communities, right? So you tend to see this over policing where there's this assumption of safety with other communities. So I just thought there were so many good analogies. If you just stop and think about it. And then the opportunity is, is now that you are aware, what are you going to do? Right. As my one of my professors used to highlight all the time, we have what, so what, but now what? what Ooh, that's good. Mean? And and he did it with an Irish accent, which made him sound way smarter than me. He did. <laughs> um, the thing that uh, the thing that uh, has been bothering me in the last seven days has probably been the mental gymnastics. I'm I'm very very. Um, uh, it's. I mean, I don't know. I'm just confused at the at the at the increased mobility in, in mental gymnastics and people being able to say that the things that happened were okay. Yeah. I, I. It's very difficult for me to rationalize that, but it's they're saying it out loud with a straight face. And, and they I, mean it. And they mean it, right? And that's. I mean, that's the scariest part, right? You're not selling something. You truly believe that, and that's where you almost want to say. I mean, you, I speak, I talk a lot. I tell people all the time, I get to talk a lot to people who are smart and passionate about the things that they're smart and passionate about. But you, you and Sharon Dunn probably speak. I mean, how often are you being asked to speak in the last? I mean, well, first of all, you're a chair of a department. We got, we got to make sure that people know, like, you're chair of a PT department, right, in Louisiana. Um, so you have it like, you know, a job that you do. But then I feel like you're like the hardest working woman in show business uh you know because i turn around and you're on like every conference and people are bringing you you also do something with mika mitchell which is a mindful monday so you're 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 giving and it's like well it's easy she just talks for an hour i'm like well i talk and like it it takes a little to prepare and like it takes a while to come down so i wanted to ask you this question i think i half asked you uh one time but um are you are you like tired because you are asked so often to speak on so many issues regarding race and you've said before uh you did it a keynote which was um this is not a, a me thing that i own um but you've got to be like you need a day off 
is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I don't mean, want to stop, but like your your role, and again, I wanted to I wanted to, to to draw the bridge here too. This is why you're trying to create villages because Lisa needs a day off. Yes, yes, and um, I feel like I need a year off, really, <laughs> because there's so many good books. Um, so if you if you know me, I'm like. I just want a moment just to sit with like a whole bunch of books and just read for a year. But I think what drives me is the fact of that. Um, one of my favorite quotes is that when you look around in a room and you keep saying someone should do something about that, then that someone's probably you. Yep. And then I think one of the things I have to keep coaching myself up on is making sure that you create space where other people can come on the journey with you. And that was why the Ujima Institute was so important, just that collective responsibility and also building up other people who feel like they have the capacity to find their voice and also speak in this arena. And so that's part of what we do in the Ujima Institute is, yes, we might have some elders out front, but over time, you'll see that elder base, that council continue to grow so that now we have a lot of people kind of saying, okay, Here's what we see. How can we collaborate with you to fix it? Um, and I will also admit that I struggle with it sometimes. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, because I've had a few people, you know, kind of say to me, hey, you, you're coming off as the flavor of the moth, right? And, you know, how do you feel about that? And I'm like, for right now, I feel called to be in this space. But I also feel like if someone else wants to be in this space, I will happily say, come on. Right. And right. And use my influence to help you be, be able to elevate your voice. And I think that's what when you think about privilege, like right now, I have a lot of privilege in my life. And so my role as a human is to use that privilege to help elevate somebody else. So because you can't be in all the lanes of traffic. Right. Well, that's what a leader does. Right. That's why I say a leader doesn't create more followers. A leader creates more leaders, which again is why I liked um, what you what you said at the Ujima Institute, which is like creating a village. But you created three, so talk about the the, the different villages that you've created because they're they were different and intentional. Yes, so we created three villages, and the first village is called the Her Village, and the Her Village is really focused on meeting the needs of female healthcare providers. And the reason being is not that we wanted to exclude our male counterparts and also our non-binary counterparts, but the thought was was that we know that often those of us that identify as females, we often have additional roles that are added onto us. So you'll hear in literature about women having two, three jobs. And so we wanted to be able to provide a space for those that identify as female to come together and be able to talk about their needs in a safe space. And then the Heal Village is focused on getting education and services in underserved or not served communities. Um, often in PT, we'll talk a lot about underserved communities, but I think we also have to be really honest that there are communities that have no services that are easily accessible. And what I mean by easily accessible is within a 30 minute drive. Um, I remember when I was practicing in Kansas, I would have clients drive four hours one way to come see me. Wow. Um, right. Because I'm one of few, you know, oncologic specialists in the area. And that's we as a PT community, we've got to address that issue. Um, then the care village is focused on community based research 
And that being research that the community has helped identify. So they help create the research design. They're part of the data collection. They're part of the interpretation um, so that we make sure that where we're investing our resources is really community facing. Um, a lot of our research is very driven from what we as the educated people think um, needs to happen. And most of the time, communities are aware of where their gaps are if we would just listen to them. It's amazing. And I say this all the time, whenever people come on the show, they're like, what? some some people will um, get nervous, not Lisa, because she talks more than I do, but like some people will get nervous about what are we going to talk about? And they'll, they'll say like, can you give me a list of questions? And for full transparency, we actually have like a like an intake form, much like a PT clinic, right? Like the, the parallels, Lisa, a lot of times between what I do now and what a treating clinician does are shocking well I, I, I was shocked at first now i'm like they're so clear patient walks into your clinic most of the time they fill out a form they are telling you things there like they are telling you not the whole picture but sometimes a lot and what we'll do is we'll have a form the guest fills it out and a lot of times if people are uncomfortable maybe, maybe they just don't do it a lot can you give me all of the questions that you're going to ask ahead of time and i uh i will respond by saying i really you're going to Everything I'm going to pitch at you, I'm a batting practice pitcher. I'm going to pitch at you what you've kind of already told me is the direction we should go. And that's really um, what a patient interaction does. They give you most of the of the of the fastballs that are right down the fat part of the plate. Like they're going to put it right down the middle. Um, but then you get to those moments in a patient session where like maybe now now this is where you can step in because now, oh, I see something that you didn't know because this is not your specialty. And that those are the moments that I love as an interviewer. And those are the moments that I think anyway, are like the comeback, the thing that brings you back. You could have an awful day as a clinician. You got the worst schedule, this, that you missed your lunch and this, and you have that one moment where you're like, Oh, you didn't know this. And I, and now you have that everything stand, all the hair on your body stands up. And you're like, I can't wait to, because I see the path to whatever. And um, I think that's what, you know, you're doing, which is um, you're allowing people to get together and listen and talk to each other, which yes. is so simple. And it is, but it's exactly what's needed. And it's that, not. That was so creepy, Jimmy. So like my word for the year is simply. Right. And my motto is just live simply, do simply whatever it is I have to do. So that's kind of creepy that you use that. But we did. We wanted to create a space where you could decide your level of engagement, right? Because often we'll create work groups and task force and kind of stuff and force people into things. Yeah. And so when we're talking about, you know, things like cultural humility, cultural responsiveness, people are going to be on the spectrum. And so we needed to create a space where you could come in where you were comfortable, stretch yourself, right? By interacting, engaging in others. We also provide, you know, education to you as a, as a member of work groups and other activities that we do. And then that way you can expand to the next level. Um, because I think we have to be really honest with people that when you start talking about things like cultural competency, humility, um, everyone's coming in at their own level. It's like Jimmy's one-on-one is very different from Lisa's one-on-one or Sky's one-on-one or Juliet's one-on-one. But everyone needs to do their one-on-one work, right? And then after that, you come together in 201 and we figure out how we're going to be agents of change. 
I think um, the last nine months has taught me. So I am a, a self-proclaimed extrovert. And it, it has taught me that not that I didn't realize introverts existed or that it's really it's not it's not on or off. It's it really is a spectrum because honestly, sometimes I'm pretty I can be introverted um, and it's neither a good nor bad. It is. And it's really taught me to recognize that even this person that I know might be introverted or extroverted. I need to read where they are right now. And I need to either come toward them and make it easy or back off and leave space. And I think what you're describing is a place where people can kind of – we've all been there. We've been in a situation that's uncomfortable, or that, but, but that we showed up, which shows that like, okay, I want to be here, but I don't want to show you how much I want to be here. So I'm going to kind of just, you know, I'm just going to kind of hang out. I'm not really interested. I don't want to sign up yet, um, but I am curious. They would have never showed up. And recognizing that in a village that you created, an online community, an in-person community, a clinic, a patient interaction – that's a lot of reading. That is a skill and that can that can improve. Um, but recognizing that it's a thing, wow, it's a big first step. Yeah, it, it definitely is a whole, it's actually to me one of the biggest steps, right? And so, but I will give y'all, I, I will speak my truth. I don't always do it well. So I'll give you an example from yesterday. So I was in a meeting and um it was pretty half and half, you know, in regards to black, white diversity, racial diversity. And so um, a lot of people that self-identified as white or European American was giving their perspective on um, the January 6th activities and COVID. And one person said, I'm just really tired. And so as we're thinking about future activities, can it just be something light and funny and maybe watch a movie or we just do something that just doesn't talk about these things. And Jimmy, that was a trigger for me. Yeah. And I literally said, you realize that for some people, this is their everyday journey, right? That you live in a state of tiredness. And now you layer on, like you were talking about all of this extra stuff, this cycling that we're doing. I'm like, people are exhausted. So I was like, if you think you're tired, can you imagine someone else that is knee deep in this? And so then, you know, this person was like, well, what I'm talking about is primarily COVID. And I'm like, but COVID is just a manifestation of all of these injustices that we've not addressed. And so, but in hindsight, I don't apologize for the things that I said, but I didn't deliver the message in such a way that invited her into the conversation, right? And that's one of the things we try to do in the Ujima Institute is we're gonna talk about the numbers. We're gonna tell the truth and the dashboard isn't beautiful, but we're also gonna tell it in such a way that you know that you are welcomed in the conversation and it might be an uncomfortable uncomfortable conversation. And that's where I thank you too, Jimmy. Jimmy's been helping me try to figure out my marketing and and um and I love this concept of you know making the uncomfortable comfortable. And so that's one of our goals at the Ujima Institute is providing a platform that's open so people know that they can come in. And we're, we're going to make mistakes, but we'll make mistakes together. Well, I like how what you recognize there and I hope people pick up on it which is you said you you don't apologize for what you said, but you didn't invite her in, but like like you're human. Yeah. But I like the fact that even after the fact, you were like, all right, I don't apologize for what I said, but like Lisa wants to be better. So Lisa can be better. Like you can't change 
that person. Maybe, maybe you can, well, first of all, I think no one can ever change anybody. I think change has to come from you. Um, But every interaction after that, that's going to come back to you. And you're going to say, Hey, remember that time that I feel like I've, I gave less than, you know, I've I've failed a little bit, or I gave less than what I I, I probably wanted to, that's going to come back and only improve. Only if you reflect on that. And all my professors at Marymount University are laughing because I hated reflection in PT school. <laughs> hated. I gave the bare minimum of what, how many words do I need to do? A hundred words? I would just, but now it really is a powerful tool if you do it, right? And it doesn't necessarily need to be written down. Like what you did there was you reflected, you thought. And for me, thought, I'll go on a walk and I'll think and I'll just be like, I'll just go through that motion. I'll hate it. I'll hate it. I'll hate it. And then I'll say, okay, I got to own it. And all right, but now I can own it. Now that I own it, now I can do whatever I want with it in the future. But I never write it down. But I was supposed to write it down in PT school. But I hated it. But it is a powerful tool. So there are some professors you still need to turn some assignments in. Probably. They won't want to take my degree away. But what I was going to say is, so yeah, you you had said something on Twitter, which was like, um, you were, I forget, you tweeted something like uh, you were trying to change your Twitter bio or something and like to to be more explaining. Uh, what I read in between the lines was, I want to make sure when someone reads this, they actually understand. Yes. What, yes. And, and, and then they're brought in simply uh, similar to what you just said there without a conversation. So what we'll do is offline, I would love to do this. Um, we'll do what's called a story brand. And this is this is this book, Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand. That's what I ran you through real quick when I was tweeting at you a few times. There's a couple ideas in here. Great book, by the way, Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand. And it's just seven elements of any good story, right? Any good story needs a hero. They need a, they have to have a problem. There's no problem. It's not really a story. It's not, not really a story. And, and what they really need, and this is like where you come in and the Ujima Institute comes in or any physical therapist, this is translatable to everybody, they need a guide. And yeah. Otto Miller puts it, in, he put it in words. I feel like a lot of people know the stuff that he put in there, but he, he gave words to it. And he's like, the guide is actually the most powerful person in the story. The physical therapist might be the most powerful person in the interaction, but they can't be the hero because you can't be the guide and the hero can't do it can't play two parts maybe ben stiller maybe eddie murphy when they he did like the clumps whatever but you can't you can't play more than one character in a movie um but uh but when you lay it out in this format and he puts words to it and then you go and watch good movies you're like oh i see it it's a hero's tale he's the hero she's the guide she's walking him through the whatever and so we'll do that offline and maybe we'll come back in like a month or two and we'll go how did it come out did Jimmy actually, did that book actually work? Did Jimmy know what the hell he's talking about? That would be fabulous. Because in my mind, I see the Ujima Institute as a guide and us allowing communities and individuals to be their own heroes. Um, and, and for us, it really is, we focused on the rehabilitative space because it's just a space that we've not really looked at health disparities thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and so it there definitely is a need there, especially when you look at the data and the rates of disability are so high amongst, you know, racial and ethnic minorities and persons of lower SECs. And, and it's like, well, why have we as a rehab community not moved into that space and started having those conversations? And a big part of that conversation is provider bias. Well, I was going to say, maybe it's also like, well, we tried some stuff and it didn't work and I'm just exhausted. It's like, okay, but that's when you double down. Right. stuff you oh yeah that didn't work that didn't work we still know it's a problem right like if that's still the the issue like you double down like you've identified the problem 
Jimmy, you just spoke to my soul because that's exactly the conversation I had with this young lady yesterday was I was like, as a human, I need you to say to me, I am tired. And I will say, you know what? I'm sorry, you're tired. And then I need for you to say that even though I'm tired, I'm still going to drag myself through the mud with you because I recognize that you've been dragging yourself. Right. And I'm here to be with you on this journey. And so I think, like you just said, you have to double down um, because if not, then you can't talk about the human connection. And for those of us as PTs, you can't talk about transforming society if we don't double down. So like I, I watched your um, your presentation before this about the new APTA building. Yeah. And I was like, I want that in every community. And I'm like, why can't we as PTs say, okay, we've created a model, but then how do we bring that outside of our community? How do we raise everyone else? So, yeah. I, mean, I know that, you know, Ujima Institute, the villages are like theoretical, but like, you know, there might be some APTA board members, you know, listening, you know, maybe some of them commented already, but like, why aren't we collaborating with, uh, who's the uh, APTA of urban planners? Like, you know, like civil engineers, how do we design this? And, and they probably know some stuff we don't know. I bet you they know lots yes. of things. We probably know stuff that they don't know. I mean, hearing Joanna from Fitwell when she says about the stairs, it was so simple. Listen to that episode where she's like, if stairs are visible when you walk in, it's the, you know this much percentage of someone taking them. And if they take six flights of stairs a day, they it will reduce. Like, I'm just like, and there's she wasn't just saying this because it was nice. And that's what she's got research behind it. Right. How do we insert ourselves into places that maybe we don't belong? Because that's where you make change. And could we have conversations with K through 12 about, you know, could you expand the break between class, right? The class migration where, yes, it might still be five minutes, but a student's not late if it takes them 10. So if you have a student that's overweight or identified as obese, allow them the opportunity to walk the stairs also. Um, because I know back in my day when I was doing school therapy, it was like, I had certain students that took the elevator for no other reason than just because they might be overweight or they might have had a disability that would still allow them to climb the stairs, but they wouldn't be able to get there in time for, you know, the next bell ring. So I'm like, there are places where we as PTs can talk about universal designs of mobility, but we got to get outside our clinic because the minute I was watching you talk about this building with your speakers and they were showing pictures I went and I Googled the life expectancy for that zip code. And so the life expectancy for that zip code is 84, 84 years, where the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 79. So I'm like, so it's great that we built that. And those people that are within the APTA, y'all are going to have some amazing health because Joanna was spitting some awesome statistics. But I'm like, but how do we build communities that allow for these other people that their life expectancy is already lower than yours to live longer. You you brought up another village that uh, fortunately uh, children get to live in, right, which is a school. And it got my mind. I mean, someone's probably already done it. Whenever I have an, an idea I think is good and then I Google it, I'm like, oh, someone already did that. But yeah, like um, uh, Sky Donovan, right? I'll call her out. Uh, her kids go to a, a school where they it's it's bilingual and her kids are fluent in Spanish and, and English too because that's what they uh, grow up in. But um, how could you get physical education into science? Like, like how could you do that? Like, could you do that? Could you get the PE into math? I don't know, 
but it seems like kids would go for moving around and stuff and maybe be more apt to learn if they're, I mean, I knew I would have, I mean, I didn't sit still for, you know, 12 years through school. Um, but that's that village too. So it really is more of a mentality what we're talking about with the Ujima Institute and, and, and the villages, which is where do you live? That's your village. Is your yes. village supporting you positively or is your village not supporting you? And that's a negative. Yeah. And you change that. So it's, it can be an APTA Centennial headquarters, a physical structure, or it can be who are the five people you interact with most. If those people are this, you're going to be that. And that is a pretty good predictor of your health or they're going to be this way. Yes. And and starting with that village on that, you know, that smallest level. And saying, okay, how do I improve the health and wellness of all these people in my village? And then go take expanding your village, right? Because ultimately we're all in one big village, right? The planet is just this one space. We're all kind of spiraling in the middle of nowhere. You're going to say stuck in, but yeah, we're stuck here. Yeah, we're stuck here. So sooner or later, we're all, we all have to identify the fact that we're connected. But if we just each kind of kept that in our minds, and that was the whole purpose behind the Black Rehabilitation Manifesto was saying, hey, y'all, you forgot about a village. You forgot about Black communities. Um, and, and particularly within the rehabilitation space. Um, so you, when you, if you go, if your listeners go and look at the manifesto, you'll see that we divided it out into advocacy, practice, education, and community engagement. And the reason being is because we were looking at, okay, what are the current, like the APTA, the um, American Occupational Therapy Association, ASHA, which rep represents speech. We were like, what domains are they already in? And, and that naturally was the domains that they were in. But when we started looking at the documents and the activities, we were like, there is very little language about the black experience and the health outcomes and disparities that we're all talking about, but then we didn't see them intentionally addressed in the activities of those organizations. And so it was nice to have a hundred people kind of come together and say, okay, how could we create a village and be direct in our communication? Because clarity is kindness and say, look, y'all, here's the state of the union as it relates to rehabilitation. Here's what we want. So you don't even have to think about what you got to do. We're going to give you a list of actions. All we want you to do is figure out which one is within your sphere of influence and do something. And so that's kind of our goal over 2021 is just asking people wherever you're at, look at the manifesto and tell us what you can do. Because we're all on this. We're all in this human village. If someone's listening right now, either, you know, live or recorded, um, What's going to push them to actually make that step? Because, you know, even signing up for something online is putting yourself out there, right? Walking into a room and saying, I want to find out more. That's putting yourself out there. How would you, uh, what would you say to someone who's listening? Who's like, who's like nodding, but they're like, I'll probably do it tomorrow or next week. Cause that's someday, man. That's code for never. Uh, what would you say to someone who's nodding and you're like, just come and check it out. What would you say? I would say that the day that you wait, is maybe a day that someone passes. I think COVID has taught us that. I think we're upwards to what, three to 4,000 deaths, is it somewhere in there? Mine. Um, yeah, it's a day that someone develops a disability that didn't have to, right? And so could you step out of your comfortability enough to allow for someone to have their best life or to just have life at all? You did, you did, 
like three out of seven s- steps from this just in that sentence. And when we do it offline, because you spoke to what they wanted, you spoke to what potential success or failure might look like. And then you laid out, hey, if you come here, we will walk you through our plan, which is join the community. Yeah. So you're like four sevenths. I'm not good with math, but you're like four sevenths of the way through your uh, your plan. We're, you're good to go. And the crazy thing is, is that most of us are already doing something in this domain. It's just a matter of could we be much more intentional? Right. Right. Yes. Because, you know, I was looking at all of the different advocacy things that the APTA is doing. And I'm like, could we just retweak the language in this and talk about health disparities related to the black community? Right. Because right now that's a hot topic in at the national level because of the costs associated with those health disparities. And I'm like, that might even help us get some of these things passed if, if we would talk about the contemporary issues. Um, but a lot of times we tend to talk about things in these very general spaces. And so we miss that opportunity to say, we can address that issue. If you don't say it and you don't open the door and you don't l- let someone know that you've, you're at least interested in helping them solve the problem, how can you be surprised when that person doesn't knock on your door? Right. You've got to. This is what we call hanging a shingle. Right. Which which is the old putting a sign out and saying, this is what I do. If you would like this, come here. You need to do that. Right. If, you think you're, if you think you're too obvious, double down. You're not obvious enough. Be very, very obvious. I totally agree. And if you're too focused on you. Then that's that never wins. So one thing I would love to see, you know, us do as a rehabilitation community is talk more about how the things we do are going to change the lives of others. Because a lot of times we talk about things like reimbursement in regards to we need more money. We need, you know, I got a doctorate and I need to get paid more. Yeah, there's truth to that. But if we could change that conversation to the fact that here is our value proposition, right? We know that mobility is like the best way to prevent disease. It's the best way to attenuate, you know, the the complications of disease. And so by allowing us more access, we're going to reduce costs, right? Or by maybe having PT as an essential benefit for Medicaid, then we can actually address the health outcomes of some of the most vulnerable in our population. But saying that and, and, and giving the numbers behind it, I think it's really important. We just I just did a talk with Sky Donovan yesterday where we hit literally on on that. Have you ever seen um have you ever seen this, the value pyramid? No. So you just mentioned value. And I'm I opened up with the students. I was talking at Duke, I was talking with Kyle Covington's class, and I was like, listen, you mentioned price, like you mentioned reimbursement, right? Price, right? So you can race to the bottom. Well, you can say like, hey, I, I provide physical therapy for $100 an hour. Well, then Lisa next door goes, I'll do it for 70 bucks an hour. Or you can increase the value, right? You can, you can, you can move the floor or the ceiling. So this, what I'm showing on the screen, <coughs> value pyramid. And it looks a lot like some pyramid that some guy named Maslow talked about in psychology, which was the needs, right? The bottom is food, water, shelter, right? Safety. And then you move up, it's social interactions. And you look at this pyramid, at the bottom is function. And you get like, does this product or service? So this is very much for a product or a service like physical mm-hmm. 
happy. So it's things like simplification or organization or connection or, or informs. And then it moves up and it talks about therapeutic value or, um, you know, uh, reduces anxiety or increases wellness or it's fun, like it, fun. Like when you're out in the woods and you're, you're worried about food and water, you're not thinking about fun. When that is done now, oh, now I can go up a rung and think about fun. So you think about this value pyramid um, and how it, and how you should paint this picture because you're actually providing this. You're providing some of this. And every once in a while, you can think, how can I add one more piece of value that will be a no-brainer if I go and sell it? I mean, 20 years ago, could you have ever wrapped your mind, your head, your mind around the fact that we're paying like 700 bucks for a thing that we'll carry around in our pocket and it makes calls and it's this computer thing? Like, no. But the really successful tech companies, and, and like the iPhone is a good example of increasing value, is they just kept adding value to the point when you didn't even notice the price was moving. You were like, I cannot, I can't not have it. My English teacher is <laughs> going over in her grave. But like you're saying I cannot live without it. I'm not saying I have the solution to how to do that, but this is definitely an idea that you want to go with, which is let's in, how do we, and you're probably already have a lot of this value baked in but are you communicating that value you yeah. could have it if you don't tell me i never know so this was something we were just talking about and i promised sky donovan and kyle covington we would do an episode on that uh that pet that that pyramid and uh ikigai you know what ikigai is mm -hmm. the the venn diagram i think those two things go hand in hand because Ikigai is all about you. Like you should know what things drive you, what you're good at, what the world needs, what you love and what you can make a living on. And then the pyramid is all everything. Okay, now you know what your Ikigai is. Now run it through this value paradigm and go, but what is, how does the world now know? How can you now tell the world about what those things are? And maybe you're just so close on some of those things. Like maybe it's hard to schedule a visit at your clinic. Could you there's not an app for that. Of course there is. Maybe you can make that a little bit more smooth. And now that actually makes 5% more people in your community show up. Wow. 5%. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I think, especially as we're looking at the demographics of America change, right? Cause I think we're what, like 60% identifying as white. We as PTs, as OTs, as speech language pathologists, we have to figure out how we're going to address the needs of racial and ethnic minorities, how we're going to address the needs of other marginalized com communities. So we're kind of staying in this, this care model that is leaving us, right? So we tend to provide care primarily for, you know, middle-class, you know, white women. That demographic's changing. So we have to be prepared to adapt and shift and in this larger healthcare system show value that we can help the out health outcomes of these other groups that are significantly growing. So like the Asian Pacific Islanders um, or those that identify as Asian Pacific Islanders, those that identify with the Latinx and Hispanic communities. You know, do we as a PT community know what some of those needs are and are we positioning ourselves, right? So, you know, people have now started talking about, re, you know, rehab deserts. Well, what are we going to do? Right. So to me, as we're having this conversation about including PTs in the loan repayment system, we need to specifically be able to talk about this is how we're going to go to those areas. And this is how we're going to keep people in those areas. Right. It, it just can't always be a very narcissistic conversation about what we need. That's just not attractive. It's not a great marketing pitch. Well, you can go this way too, right? 
where if if you have people who need something but aren't getting it or need something but they aren't getting enough, that sounds like a great place to provide that thing. This is a great business opportunity. Yeah. Part of that icky guy, the one quarter of it that people are like, well, what the world needs, what I love, what I'm good at, and then what, what I can make money on. It's like, well, yeah, but if you can't buy cornflakes and pay your rent, you're going to be good to no one. So yeah. don't discount that. Can you can you monetize it? I don't want people to run into, well, that's negative. But like, gosh, wouldn't it be great if there was someone who said, look at all these people who have who have no care or not enough care. What a great business opportunity. Let me overserve and provide those people with an exchange of abundance. Yeah. And then I will be supported and I will be doing something I'm good at, the world needs, and that I love. Yeah. And Work so, hard. no, and you're exactly right. And that's one of the things that we talk about in the rehabilitation manifesto under the practice and the education sections, right? Is because we understand that right now the diversity within our workforces are very limited. I think. PT and OT is kind of hovering at about 76, 77% Caucasian. Speech language pathology, though, is actually like number one. Is it? Yeah. So they're like number one for the most women. It's like 95, 97%. And then like their whiteness scale is like 95%. Um, Back in like 2015, they were actually in the news as like one of the top 10 whitest professions in the U.S. Um. But it doesn't mean that just because you don't share the same color that you can't provide care. But it does mean that there's probably some skills that you need to obtain so that you can build a therapeutic alliance with people quicker. Right. Because that way, the quicker that therapeutic alliance is built, the quicker we can move um, on to health outcomes. Right. And so what we talk about in the manifesto is things such as you know, how is your educational program assessing those skills, right? So diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, representation, because those are all very different things. And so one of my mentors has kind of drilled into me that a diversity or justice thing has to have an outcome, a goal. And so as programs are talking about DEI, well, how are you assessing it? How are you measuring it? How are you teaching it? Oh, that is wow. the coolest doorbell ever. Is that a doorbell or a clock? That's a doorbell. I think Amazon just left me a package. Of course they did. Mail time for all the Blue's Clues <laughs> fans. But um, but I, I do. And, and so the other thing we talk about in the manifesto is even once a student graduates, then how can clinics also do that same thing, right? So as you do your evaluations, you know that after episode of care evaluation, Add some questions in there about culture. So how how did people feel about your culture? Was it inclusive? Did they feel like they belonged, right? You know, add also some of those questions into your, your clinic staff um, evaluations. And so, but I think number one, like you said, is for people to know the words, right? So real quickly, diversity is the counts, right? So that's the what, y'all. Inclusion is the how. So those are the activities that we do. Um, equity tends to be one of the outcomes. So what's the end point, right? And then belonging is the emotional outcome. And ultimately, we all want to belong. And my favorite is representation. Re representation is the what thereafter. So even if I'm not at the table, because people always say, oh, you want a seat at the table. No, what I want is even if I'm not at the table, you are still thinking about what my needs might be. 
And so that's representation. And that's when you know that you have dismantled and recreated another system where even if there's not someone from that group represent they're sitting at the table, you still go, okay, how is this going to impact that person? And so, yeah. And so why couldn't we do that at a clinic level and also within our educational programs and teach people how to constantly be assessing those things in their interactions with each other? If you're not measuring, it's not getting done. It's not getting changed. It's not improving. It's not a shock. I mean, as as therapists, we know that it's better. You write that on an evaluation. How better, how better, how can you prove it? So if right. you can't prove it, like, well, then it didn't, you know, picture, picture doesn't happen, right? Like, you know, results or it doesn't happen. Measurements or it doesn't happen. Yes. And don't be afraid of doing that baseline assessment and knowing that you may not be at the place you want to be at. So, but that's okay. That means you have a lot of places you can grow to. And so that's one of the things that the Ujima Institute is here for. And that's really what we're hoping people get from the Rehabilitation Manifesto is that we're not judging. Right. But we are saying, here's the truth of where the black community is in regards to health and wellness as it's related to rehabilitative science. And we're asking you because Ujima means collective responsibility. Am I my brothers, my sisters, my other humans keeper? And so we're asking you to help us solve these issues. Takes a village. Yes. A really big village with a lot of people. Yeah. But like, it's almost like just. Wherever you are, that's where your village is, even for a moment or a year. So, like, think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Website, ujimainstitute.com. Uh, that's U-J-I-M-A, institute.com. Uh, are you ready to do three questions? Oh, real quick. When you go to the website, you're going to see a survey. Fill out the survey because we do want your input because it's a public collective document. If you got thoughts or edits, you can also um, add those in. So there's a document to do that as well. And um, the other thing I can tell you is just join us, right? So don't be afraid of where you're at. We are a very friendly group. And somebody was asking about my shirt. Yes, it does say Black Physical Therapists Matter. Um, It doesn't mean everybody else doesn't matter. Jimmy matters. It just means we need to focus on the fact that our number of black PTs is actually potentially decreasing in some geographical regions. Yeah. So, yeah. I like the, I like the focus on that. And I, I like the fact that more people are actually understanding it more, not enough yet. Well, will that be enough, but like more than, than did. Yes. So Dr. Harold Freeman, who, um, is the, is the father of patient navigation. So when I took his course, so one of the other things, y'all, is I'm a certified patient navigator, is um, he always talks about how all work, all work is good work. So all work is good work. So even that craziness that happened on January 6th, and I'm going to call it craziness, and I know that that word is offensive to some, so my apologies. Those activities that happened on January 6th, it's allowing us to now have these conversations. So- yeah. All work is ultimately good work. Oof. Well, you have that quote, so good luck because you still have to have a parting shot. So you oh. have to have that. But we got to do three questions first. Okay.
This question is brought to you by our friends at Fusion Medical Staffing. As a travel PT or a travel PTA, you get to decide where, when, and how you do what you do best, which is provide quality care to your patients. Traveler first, that mentality means you get full control of your healthcare career so you can create the travel lifestyle you love and deserve because you worked for it and you're probably still paying for it with student loans. Um, and with detailed job transparency, people love that. They're just like, just we're going to do this dance where I'm going to ask questions and you're going to screw around and give me the answers. Like, just tell me what the job is and where it is. What does it pay? What do I do? They have that now. So job transparency. So you can seriously choose your own adventure. Lisa, did you ever do those choose your own adventure books? Remember those back in like the 80s yes. and 90s? Yes. I, like crazy. It'd be like the lion comes in the lair. And I'm like, I'll do this. And then you get to that and you're like, no, nah, I'm going to go back. So I'd always like pick what I'm going to do, but I would jam my finger in the pet. Yeah, I was doing that too. Uh, but start your travel adventure at fusionmedstaff.com. That is fusionmedstaff.com and choose your own adventure. All right, so three questions. We keep the questions the same, but the funny part is even if we have a guest on multiple times, the answers usually they'll 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 change as well. So first question is a where question. Okay. Uh, so when things are safe to travel, right? When we've 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 shown our deltoids and gotten vaccinations and everything is is safe to travel, uh, where's somewhere in the 50 US that you just can't wait to go to? <sighs> In the 50 U.S., yeah, I would say, oh, Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, I'm never not going to agree with that. I haven't I been, but I would like to go there soon. Oh, I want to go to Kauai. I want to go back to Kauai. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Hawaii. And where there are people, there are needs for a physical therapist and physical therapist assistance. So check out fusionmedstaff.com. Uh, Second question is a what question. What's something you've watched, listened to, or read a book movie podcast something that you just think the audience would get value from reading either enjoyment knowledge whatever oh so it is called the best yes best, the best yes, yes. Is it a book it, it is a book and it also has a work group now in full disclosure it is written um with a heavy kind of christian slant to it but i still feel like it's worth the read regardless of what your belief system is um, because as I told y'all, my word for the year is simply. simply and so yeah. that requires me to say no to some things. Yeah. And what this author talks a lot about is that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so is that really what you want to say no to? Oh. So, yes. I'm going to have to adopt that. I can hear several people in my life going, see, that's what you need to do. Because I say yes a lot. It is an amazing read. And so um, there's a chapter where she talks about chasing down the decision. And so from that, I created this acronym for myself that I've been using um, since about the end of 2020, but I call it facing the decision. So I face the decision. And F is, do I have the finances for that decision? Do I have the abilities? Do I have the courage? And do I have the effort? So is this, am I at a season in my life that I can give it the effort that it's needed? So every decision, like, yeah. That's smart. That's real smart. I'm glad we're recording this because I'm going to use this. <laughs> uh, last question on three questions is all about people, right? Who is someone the audience should know more about? Betsy Blunt. Okay. So as we get ready to celebrate our centennial, um, Betsy Blunt was actually born in 1914. So she would have turned one in 1915, um, but she became a physiotherapist roughly around 1942, 43, and she could potentially be the first African-American physiotherapist. That's cool. So, 
And she yeah. was amazing. She was an inventor. She was awesome. We got to do, let's make sure we do an episode on like, like her. Let's do some characters. Let's do some who's. Let's do a who's who in, in the last hundred years or something like that. We'll get, you will come back and you'll do your book report on Betsy and someone else will come back. And this way we spread the load. We could do like two or three people at once. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're going to celebrate our hundredth, our hundredth. Oh, that was not a word. We're going to celebrate our centennial, right? A hundred years. And we're thankful for all that were there at the beginning, but because of where we were as a society, um, everyone wasn't able to be at the table and represent it. So I think we have to be very intentional about talking about those pioneers from, from all dimensions. So yeah. Pioneering ain't easy. No, it ain't. No, it's not. So you got to celebrate that. All right. That's three questions. Uh, last thing we do is uh, called the parting shot. Parting shot is brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. If you're looking to uh, level up your game, if you're looking for a community, a village of other physical therapists and physical therapist assistants who love uh, orthopedics, who better? Like, seriously, it's a real question. Who better than the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy? Find them online at orthopt.org. They have ISCs, independent study courses, like the Netflix of... Or, uh, current concepts of orthopedics or the running athlete or tissue tolerance. So uh, find out that's continuing education. It's designed by the leaders in orthopedic PT. It's the who's who. So again, find them online, orthopt.org. Uh, Sky Donovan saying that you had about 10 mic drop moments tonight, but now is your now no pressure because it, the parting shot really is just like a, a mic drop moment. What would you want to leave everybody with tonight for your parting shot? Um, I will leave them with the thought that health disparities matter, um, especially for those of us that are for our frontliners who are um, working in the middle of COVID, for those of us that are more on the tertiary care. Um, we have to commit to health disparities. The data right now suggests that one in every 500 African-American or black people will die from COVID. And a lot of that is avoidable. Because that is the definition of equity: is that these are these on these are avoidable differences um, in health outcomes, and so do what you can within your village. Yeah, I heard something the other day which just goes in line with it: do what you can with what you have where you are. And I was like, wow, if that doesn't say it, it's like do what? Yeah, but if that doesn't make anybody, I don't care what you are: PT, OT, SLP, plumber. Like, do what you can with what you have where you are. I mean, Jimmy, I need for you to stop being creepy because I have that sticker in my planner like that was. So every week I pick a sticker. That's my inspiration for the week. And that was the very first week of January. Right here. Right I, here. I'm going to turn my webcam off because you're right. creepy. <laughs> I am creepy. Let's figure out when we can bet you up, get you back on. Maybe we'll do we'll do an offline kind of story branding, and and we'll see what we can come up with and bring back, and see what the audience thinks about. Hey, what is what does the Ujima Institute sound like now? It'll still be something similar. We'll have just shown how to communicate that value, that pyramid, a little bit differently. We'll bring it back. Yeah. Lisa, yeah. thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you always, and I appreciate everyone for joining and sharing space and time with us. So, and do your part. That's all we can do. Do your part. 
Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpintcast.com Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay. Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pinecast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pinecast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.